The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 31. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. We've arrived at Act 1, Scene 5, and things are going to get very interesting. On stage, the transition from Scene 4 into this one is immediate. Horatio and Marcellus exit, and then the ghost re-enters, with Hamlet in tow. But the young prince has had enough by now, and drags his heels, saying... Where wilt thou lead me? Speak, I'll go no further. There's a breathlessness even to this fairly ordinary line. There's one extra syllable in there, giving it what we refer to as a feminine ending, so it's not a regular line of verse. It can never be neat or smoothly delivered. At last, 30 episodes later, the ghost finally gets to speak. And of course, the first thing he does is to tell Hamlet to listen to him. Mark me, he says as though Shakespeare hasn't already primed us to do just that after several scenes of build-up. We've had this ghost coming and coming and appearing and frightening, and finally he speaks and the first thing he says is, listen. Ever the dutiful son, eager to hear whatever this figure has to say, Hamlet replies, I will. The ghost starts with some background information. Is Shakespeare even toying with us here a little, raising the tension in the scene yet again? The ghost says, My hour is almost come, when I to sulphurous and tormenting flames must render up myself. Alas, poor ghost! It's tricky that the ghost starts off by explaining that he doesn't have much time before he has to go back to his torments. Our modern, time-poor minds are immediately drawn to think, well, hurry up and get on with it. Hamlet is courteous with his sympathetic, alas, poor ghost. Not the last time he'll say, alas, poor somebody in this play, either. But in filling in the line of verse here, there might be room for the actor to impart a little bit of a sense of get-on-with-it-dad urgency to the moment. But the primary mood is sincere, since our father figure counters with a command. Pity me not, but lend thy serious hearing to what I shall unfold. It's fair enough. Don't feel bad for me, but please listen carefully. Focus, Hamlet. The prince replies, speak, I am bound to hear. And now things get really interesting. So art thou to revenge when thou shalt hear. The ghost's reply has a new thought. He's out here haunting the battlements because he needs revenge. But for what? Indeed, that's all Hamlet has to say. What? And now we get the ghost's full aria, as it were. I am thy father's spirit, doomed for a certain time to walk the night, and for the day confined to fast in fires, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. But that I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house, I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part, and each particular hair to stand on end like quills upon the fretful porpentine. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. This entire scene is suffused with ideas and discussions of purgatory, and indeed with references to it. The whole point is that Hamlet begins to see things anew, almost as though he goes from black and white thinking into, admittedly rather lurid, technicolour. For a little bit of background, 
Purgatory is the space between heaven and hell. After death, the belief for Catholics is that souls go to purgatory, where they can purge their sins before being granted admission to heaven. It is one of the most problematic aspects of the faith, and indeed a very cursory Google search I made in preparation for this episode led to a page referring to it as the Catholic heresy. The Reformation came about thanks to Martin Luther, who was deeply perturbed by the church's practice of selling indulgences, or the promise of a release of a particular soul from purgatory. This had become so widespread and so brazenly corrupt that Luther insisted on reform, and his actions eventually led to a very divided Europe. In Shakespeare's England, the official faith was the new Church of England, which did not at all believe in purgatory. But of course it was very hard simply to wipe out so many long-held beliefs. Shakespeare's parents, for example, would have grown up Catholic, because that was the only faith that there was. And so now, at the beginning of the 17th century, for many people there was a shadowy, increasingly hidden or forgotten faith in the background. Given that England had lived through such a grisly half-century of sectarian violence, it probably didn't seem wise for Shakespeare to discuss purgatory outright. But there seems little doubt that this is where he feels Hamlet's father's ghost has come from. Quite fascinatingly, the most recent Arden Shakespeare edition makes scant reference to purgatory, but by contrast, the brilliant Stephen Greenblatt has written a whole book about it, conveniently named, should you want to go and find it, Hamlet in Purgatory. The ghost begins by saying who he is, and that he is doomed for a certain term to walk the night. The only major difference between purgatory and hell is that the torments in the former are finite. This certain term will end eventually, and the ghost's mention of it is our first clue that purgatory is what's under discussion. So, the king's ghost is doomed for this certain term to walk the night, and for the day confined to fast in fires. There's no rest for this spirit at all. He must walk all night and burn without food during the day. And this idea of food and being full is something that's also going to come up through the course of this scene, and indeed later in the play. It's pretty grim already. And all of this, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. That's a second clue right there. Purged is all the more loaded a word since Shakespeare is suggesting the possibility of respite for the king once he has served this term. And of course there's a linguistic connection as well between purged and purgatory. Ever the tease, Shakespeare then makes a virtue of having the ghost refuse to divulge too many details of what this afterlife is like. He is not allowed to tell the secrets of his prison house, otherwise he could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part, and each particular hair to stand on end like quills upon the fretful porpentine. It's pretty clever writing. A delicious description of just how horrified Hamlet would be if he heard what the ghost has to suffer. Hamlet's soul would be traumatised by this harrowing information, his blood would run cold, his eyes would gape or roll in their head like stars knocked from their orbits, and his hair would separate and stand on end like a porpentine. Somehow Shakespeare decided that this was the correct form of the name of the animal we know as a porcupine. He also believed it to be a rather fearsome creature that could aim and shoot its quills at its enemies. There's even an inn called the porpentine in the Comedy of Errors. But either way, the image is pretty effective. His depiction of where he's come from, 
about which clue number three he probably shouldn't speak, would shatter Hamlet completely. The ghost lays off here and stops himself from progressing any further into this tricky territory. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. The ghost proclaims that this description must not be shared or be revealed to ears of flesh and blood. A blazon is a display or a report, and it is another word closely associated with heraldry. The association of this ghost, with his sable and silver, as we discussed before, is never far from Shakespeare's mind. Shakespeare has recently procured an eternal blazon for his family and can't seem to get it out of his head. What the ghost means, of course, is that his description of the afterlife or the eternal is not for Hamlet's ears. Presumably, purgatory is horrible enough that he doesn't want to add any further sins to his list by talking about it. As we continue through this scene, there'll be plenty more discussion of purgatory and of the old king being murdered with a list of sins for which he has yet to atone. Of course, we've taken something of a sidestep away from the ghost's real bombshell that he's mentioned, his desire for revenge. Hamlet, understandably discombobulated by this appearance of his father back from purgatory, which perhaps he'd been groomed to believe didn't even exist, has barely had a moment to consider this notion of revenge. But the spirit has even more shocks to share, and we'll move on to them in the next episode. As ever, thank you so much for listening. You can continue the conversation on Twitter if you want to follow, at Hamlet Podcast. I have a lot of fun there sharing various interesting nuggets from other Shakespeare lovers around the world. If you're enjoying the show, please do like and share and tweet and tell your friends or even leave a review on the iTunes store. And of course, there's an ever-growing quantity of extra information to be found on the website, which by now I'm sure you know is thehamletpodcast.com.